Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, Fruit Inspectors. This is part 4, and the title of today's message is False Teachers Doomed. In this second chapter of Second Peter, what God is giving us is a shot, an inoculation. He's introducing to us a form of a virus, a disease like doctors do. You know, when a doctor gives us a shot of antigen into our bodies, our bodies recognize it as a foreign substance, yet it's in a benign stage. Our immune system goes to work and develops an antibodies for it. So if we ever do contact that disease, the body is already familiar with it, knows how to produce the antibodies, and then off we go. Like in my generation, we had the vaccine for the chicken pox and the smallpox. Today, we get our flu shot every year as it introduces a possible strain of the virus that we could come in contact with. Thus, our bodies will recognize it when the real thing comes our way. And so in chapter 2, not just our lesson today, but the whole chapter, God is giving us an immunization shot through the Apostle Peter. Where these false teachers come into our midst and claim to be Christian, give the appearance of being Christians, but they are not. They are a greater danger to our faith and relationship with Jesus than the unsaved world that opposes us. Why? Because the stakes are so high when it relates to false doctrine and false teaching. Eternal life is in the balance in what we believe in spiritually or what we hold to spiritually. So Peter is inoculating us for that if we ever come in contact with this kind of spiritual disease or this kind of spiritual influence, we will recognize it for our spiritual recognize it for the danger that it holds. Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, he said, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that the last day or the last time some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their conscience are dead. Jesus went on to say in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Listen, not everyone who stands behind a pulpit is a teacher of God's word, and not everyone who opens a Bible is a teacher of God's word. Most are, no doubt, but not all. We as Christians are always prone to think the best when someone says they're a Christian. What I mean is our guards go down when they say they are a Christian. When a football player after a touchdown looks up in the sky and points his finger up towards heaven, we assume they are a Christian. We're nice people, and we always want to believe the best. What they say to us, we believe, is trustworthy, for they have identified themselves as Christian. They even own a Bible. Most of the time, that is true, but not all the time. When we listen to someone teach the Bible, and that includes me, that is just the beginning. Because after we listen to what the person is saying, then we are to test what is being said with the Word of God. Is that correct in light of what the Bible says? Only if we are confident of that, I realize that to be a biblical truth, then I embrace that truth, and I allow that to become a part of my relationship with Jesus Christ. As Paul told, told the church in Thessalonica, to test all things, and that is with the Word of God. What happens? Not all people test that way. They end up following all kinds of false doctrine. They will take a passage out of context and not have anything in the Bible to back it up, and then false teaching begins. There's one cult that claims to be Christian, but they're not. They get 80% of their converts to their cult who have had some kind of Bible background. Some form of church or Christianity was introduced to them at some point into their life. But what I'm saying, they know just enough of the Bible to be fooled by the cults. They know just enough that what they know can be twisted in such a way these folks have no antibodies <clears throat> to combat it. So in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, But there were <clears throat> also 
false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. He says, among you, there in verse 1. These false teachers circulate among God's people. They don't believe in the simple truths of the Bible. They don't teach the simple truths of the Bible, yet they want to be identified as Christians. And why is that? Because it gives them legitimacy that they would not otherwise have. Remember, we all are nice people, and as soon as they say they're Christian, we do drop our guard. You know, in business, this happens all the time. To sell you on a product or a business model that someone is wanting you to invest in, they usually will bring in a well-respected company alongside of this business to make it more legit. If a person was going to start an IT business here in Tallahassee, so to get their name out there and the legitimacy so people would buy their services, they could say, hey, I worked for IBM for two years. I was offered jobs at Hewlett-Packard and Microsoft, but I turned them down because I want to start an IT business here in Tallahassee. It's not that they were telling, it was, it's not that they're not telling the truth, but it's truth mixed in with a lot of lies. You see, the IBM they worked for was a copy machine company, and they were repairing copy machines. They own a Hewlett-Packard printer, and a micro, Microsoft Windows 10 is on their PC. But see, if you never check it out, you're impressed with the legitimacy. This is what cults do who call themselves Christian. They mix in a little bit of truth with a lie, yet they believe in the Bible, they believe in Jesus, but we have to understand it's a different Bible and it's a different Jesus. Understand a heretic denies what the, Bobby, the Bible declares to be true of Jesus. They deny his deity, that he's the son of God. And when, with that, they also deny his virgin birth. They also deny his resurrection. And denying that makes you not a Christian at all. Listen, it's very important that we understand something about this is that when a person says that they're a Christian, we don't know if they, if they believe in the deity of Jesus or the virgin birth or the resurrection or the Trinity. So just because they say they're a Christian, don't let your guard down and accept they believe what I believe because it just may not be true. Do they believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation? When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me, there are people who profess to be Christian and deny that. They flat out not only deny the Bible, they flat out deny the words of Jesus. They teach all roads lead to heaven or a person can get to heaven based on good works rather than faith in Jesus on the finished work on the cross for us. If any teacher says there is another way to heaven other than Jesus, they are a false teacher. Anyone who says by putting my faith in Jesus for salvation and this additive and that additive is also a false teacher. There's no such thing as Jesus and when it comes to our salvation. And if they say there is, they are a false teacher. What a person is saying when they say, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need this, is a person who is saying what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. The cross needs to be supplemented. Or to say, I can get to heaven on my good works, is to say that Jesus came and died on the cross unnecessarily. It has nothing more than just a waste of his time. It says in verse 2, and many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth has been blasphemed. So many people will follow these false ways. So just because you see great numbers in cults or religion and that doesn't teach Jesus is our salvation or Jesus is the only way doesn't mean there is another way to heaven. Just as Peter says, there are many like this. So just because there's many in numbers and they don't teach Jesus the only way doesn't mean that they are correct. They are a false 
teacher, and also the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And we see that today when people will say, you Christians are so narrow-minded, you're so conceited that Jesus is the only way, and in your arrogance, everyone else in the religion and their good works to God is wrong. How dare you Christians? So they're blaspheming the way of truth, because the way of truth is Jesus is the only way, because he said it himself, and that's how they tear it down. When it comes to false teachers, not only do we need to know what they are saying and weigh it with the word, but one of the things we, you know, one of the things so many don't catch with false teachers is what they are not saying. What are they avoiding? What is that that I have never heard them teach before? So you only, so not only do false teachers get identified by the air that they speak, but the truth they actually fail to speak can come their way. In verses 4 through 8, it says this, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would be, live ungodly. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So in verses 4 through 8, basically show that God has going to have judgment upon the angels. He already had judgment upon this earth back in the flood in Genesis 6 and 7. And he also talks about that he had judgment upon these cities called Sodom and Gomorrah as fire came down and destroyed these two cities. Peter says their destruction came because of ungodly living. In verse 7, filthy conduct of the wicked. In other words, their lives were filthy. And lawless deeds in verse 8, living contrary to God's law. We learn from Jude and in Genesis 19 that the flagrant sin was homosexuality. And I understand that homosexuals feel that their sin is assailed by Christians, that their sin is made especially of and an example of. And in one sense, they are right. It has been the case that we, the universal church, have made more of their sin than other sins. But in another sense, it's just the sin of a long list of sin. It's as easy to forgive a person of homosexuality as it is to forgive a person of being a liar. So no sin is gigantic or bigger than the other. The Bible speaks a lot of heterosexual sin, like adultery, fornication, and prostitution. You know, the reason I came to Christ is I realized I was a sinner. My life was wrong, and what I was doing was wrong. And I wanted to repent of my sin. I wanted to turn my life around. I didn't want to continue on in that sin anymore. And I knew that God would forgive my sin as I would turn to him and ask for his forgiveness and Jesus into my life. It was my sin that actually led me to Christ and his love for me and his acceptance of me. And I wanted to repent of my sin. I wanted that truth, and it was important that I repent as that's the process in coming to Christ. But listen, once we stop calling something sin because of the pressure of our world, we are not ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation, the means of what they need to repent from. We can become false teachers in saying homosexuality or fornication is not sin. But it's not always in what you say, but it's in what you do not say. Do we avoid the subject completely? Some churches teach that homosexuality and heterosexual sin is not really sin. While other churches will not speak against it nor speak for it, it just will not speak at all. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. See, we all have a sin background. And here's what it looks like as Paul put it down there. You see, God knows how to deliver, how he, how he can with Noah, how he can with Lot. God knows how to deliver, and God knows how to spare his own children. You and I have been delivered from the wrath that is to come because he took that for us on the cross. Christ died. Christ drank the cup of God's wrath that we that, that it, it might be for us that he poured out onto us for his son, Jesus Christ. He poured it upon his son. Christ experienced for us what we will never experience. God turned his back on his son so he'd never have to turn his back on us. Why? Because God knows how to deliver. And the last couple of verses here, and then the Lord knows how to deliver the ungodly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So it boils down to there's a day of judgment. The day a person moves from judgment into the glorious light of God in heaven is the day they realize they are a sinner and their sin needs to be repented of. There's too much at stake. We can't afford to be wrong right here. And then their life is given over to God and they enter into the greatest life a person can ever live, a life for God with heaven being secure. Listen, as I close, we all understand that we, when we accepted Jesus Christ in our life, we repented of our sins. But we struggle many times. A lot of Christians struggle with their sin. And we fail many times in our struggle with sin. There's, many, there's people that are heterosexual that are single and they struggle with fornication until they get married. They know it's wrong. They repented of it. And then they fall right back into it again. And they come back to God. They repent of it. And they, fall, they, they struggle with it. There's a weakness there. There are people who fail as homosexual with the struggle with the same sex attraction. They will still have that same sex attraction all the days of their life. And sometimes they'll fail. Sometimes they'll fall back into it. And they turn back around and they ask God to forgive them. And, and they may fail again and they may fall back into it. You know, we fail as covet, you know, covetous people with the struggle of that sin. We fail as a drunkard with the struggle of alcohol. We drink and, you know, you, you, you repented of it. And you went to AA and then you found yourself failing again and back into it again. Drug addicts will struggle. A liar will struggle. A thief will struggle. Yet, we always turn back to God. And here's the promise of the Bible. If we confess our sin, we confess our failures, our struggles, as he knows our hearts of repentance, here's the promise. He will be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, our God knows how to deliver. <laughs> 